You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And today is October 11th, the International Day of the Girl Child. Yay. Woohoo! Yay for all the girls out there. Well, today, Bonnie, we're laying it out there. We are. Recently, several conversations have come up surrounding the topic of sex, values, and our culture. Yep. And as usual, we're going to be pretty frank. So if you're listening to this podcast with little people in the vicinity, you might want to save this for later when you are alone. Mm -hmm. um, so as parents who are concerned about our kids' whole development, including their moral development, this topic may dog us, exhaust us, plague us like no other in parenting. When our kids reach school age, and sometimes before that in many cases, and our sphere of influence changes and they make friends and you know just are in other people's homes their exposure to what's out there increases and so today we want to talk about three topics in particular pornography our hypersexualized culture and our view of romance and marriage yep so buckle up people <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's just start with some really great news here pornography Mm -hmm. This is from an article from 2018, the Atlantic Monthly, and um, kids, uh, were they were surveyed mm -hmm. to see how many kids were exposed to pornography. Um, it was an Indiana University's media school, and they did a public health survey. 39% of 14-year-olds reported having seen porn with about a third of young people saying they'd seen it for the first time at age 12 or younger. The survey also found that 81% of adolescents aged 14 to 18 who had seen pornographic material had been exposed to it unintentionally, either coming across it online or receiving it unsolicited. Mm -hmm. So the question is not if your child is going to see pornography, but what will your response be when they do? Yes, because they will. Because they will. The odds are. Yeah. Um, so it's not a new thing. Like it's always been with us. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that till we really started researching and mm -hmm. discussing this topic. The, um, they found images on um, the frescoes in the ruins of Pompeii. <laughs> right. That were pornographic. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. so it's not like it's something, there's nothing new under the sun, as mm -hmm. we'd say, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think today's parents, starting when our own kids, Renee, were young, um, are the first in history to raise kids in such a digitally connected, sexually saturated world. It's a matter of excess and access. Yeah, I mean, you and I both know we had neighbors who had Playboys. Oh yeah, under their bed, mm -hmm. their parent under their parents' bed. Yep, and the kids would sneak them out. Usually, the boys would mm -hmm. sneak them out, and you might get exposed to that. But it was so hard to access. Right, you had to sneak it. Yeah, you had to totally sneak it, and it had it was a physical thing you had to have in your hands, and it was way tamer than what is out there today yeah i mean it wasn't good but it was way tamer than cable and just like constant pop-up ads that you see mm -hmm. or things that you might um things that are actively seeking our attention for clicks um i remember even in the 90s there was this episode on friends i don't know if you remember this um one of the episodes was where chandler and joey's tv was stuck on a cable porn channel it just got turned on and they were like woohoo and they refused to let anyone turn it off because they didn't want to lose this channel so it was just playing 24 7 in the apartment <laughs> and it was this that. big giant joke and at the time I was just like ew and the girls across the hall would come over and they're like ew but nobody really said anything it's like okay well that's just what you do right you watch porn all that, day that whole friends all of it's about sex it, it when is. I watched that in the 90s I didn't even notice right it. but you go back now but and, you go back now and see an episode <laughs> That is, it's just so 
repetitive. It is. There's no, there's no depth there. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Oh my goodness. Okay. So some reports you found, Bonnie, said kids as young as seven years old are seeing porn. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure earlier than that, you know, if you just leave something laying around for sure. And we know what we know about it is that it perverts an understanding of sex and reality of it. So what they think they are seeing is normal. Um, and it forms their expectations. And so that sabotages any kind of real connection because nobody's fumbling around in porn. Nobody's farting during sex. (laughs) Nobody gets up to pee right afterwards. So they don't get a UTI. Nobody's there's no washcloth or towel on the bed. Like all the real awkward, nasty, dirty stuff that happens in sex is not in there. No, it's not. It's not real. No, and they don't. But you seeing that as a young kid, you haven't even processed that yet. If you're not even in puberty yet, you're not even you're not even there yet to understand Mm -hmm. what all that is. So you just think, oh, that's normal. That's what I can expect. Yeah, it normalizes the very abnormal. Mm -hmm. And it also stunts their ability to process emotions and just to form um, emotional connections with another human Mm -hmm. because it's all screen driven. Right. Uh, And even to the point of, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, where you can't have an orgasm unless you're looking at a screen like you can't have one naturally with your partner and and so it sabotages that natural that natural process yeah. crazy because it's re- reforming your patterns in your brain yeah and so young people turn to it why because they're curious mm-hmm. young people have always been curious and they always will be curious about sex because it's natural they use it for information and education about sex which is the unfortunate part because it's not telling you anything that's real yeah so you're gonna have to talk about it you're going to have to arm yourselves, which is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. What would you What would you talk about? Because I didn't have to talk about it. Well, that's not true. I didn't talk about it until, you know, teenage, teenage years mm-hmm. with my kids. But I think if I were a mom today raising younger children, I would start a lot earlier. Which raises a problem because, okay, say your kid is in first or second grade, you haven't even broach the subject of the birds and the bees yet Mm -hmm. so how are you supposed to put the cart before the horse and talk about pornography yeah I know and and we have some great some great resources for that but okay some proponents say that kids need a porn literacy guide you sent me this article I was appalled at this yeah um there's they're saying oh porn is not necessarily misogynistic it's it's um, it can be empowering um it offers affirmation maybe to young people who might be questioning their sexual identity or preferences. So they see that on the screen and it's affirming to them. Um, so if we just walk them through critical thinking about what they're seeing, just like we would a movie or whatever, then we're just teaching them how to be critical consumers. That's the argument. Uh, how, what do you think about that? Well, I don't think that it's great to give your kids alcohol and drugs just so they can experiment safely at home. And I never offered my children various sexual partners so I could coach them through that process either. Good to hear. Good to hear. (laughs) So I just because I think you can teach them to think critically about it um, without actually viewing multiple, you know, examples of it. Experiencing it. So let's look on the let's instead of looking at all this negative, let's think about building a positive Christian worldview about sex in general first right first lay the groundwork for that right yeah I agree I agree um so the that becomes like okay so what's a Christian worldview of sex well C.S. Lewis gives us some insight into a Christian worldview of sex because it really is just much more rich beautiful and important than our American culture teaches in its movies books and tv shows It's more than just a physical appetite like hunger that we satisfy when we feel like it, but it's less than a necessary component of a fully human existence because Jesus was fully human in every way, yet he was not married and did not have sex. So it's a ritual that's meant to secure two people in a covenantal relationship. Lewis says, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and wife are to be regarded as a single organism, for that is what the words one flesh would be in modern English. And the Christians believe that when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment, but stating a fact, just as one is stating a fact when one says that a lock and its key are one mechanism. 
the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one union, sex, from all other kinds of union, which are meant to go along with it and make up the total union. So the Christian attitude doesn't mean that there's anything wrong about sexual pleasure. It means that you mustn't isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasure of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and then spitting them out again. So something that's helped me when I'm thinking about this is um, before you know if something is working, you need to ask what it's for. And that's what Lewis is answering for us. He's telling us what sex is for. And that's why you would not do that act unless you were fully committed to this other person socially, emotionally, spiritually, in all the other ways, because it's that powerful. And I love um, Paul. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6. I should have looked that up before we had this conversation. But he, God's so practical. He's like, listen, speaking through the Apostle Paul, he's like, you don't, have, you don't stop having sex with your married partner mm-hmm. unless you're devoting yourself to a time of prayer. Mm-hmm. He knew that sex was critical for the like health of a relationship. And so you don't stop doing that unless you are have devoted this time of like fasting from something. Right. Otherwise you do it. And I thought, wow, what wisdom there because I know so many couples that's a signal of the beginning of the end. Right. When they stop having sex. It's a disconnecting of that intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's just a distance and you hear this a lot. Well, if my wife would just have more sex with me, then I wouldn't have to look at pornography. Or if my husband would just pay more attention to me, I wouldn't have to, you know, talk to other guys or do whatever. Yeah. Or like a lot of women are viewing pornography. The numbers are are almost evening out Mm -hmm. in terms of the numbers of men and women Mm -hmm. viewing it. So it really is insidious. So if sex is for covenant renewal, if it's meant to be the glue in a committed relationship, then porn is immediately illegitimate because it's not doing what it's made to do. It's um, interaction without your partner that you've committed to socially, emotionally, and physically. Um, So looking through, okay, what would I talk to my preteen, tween about um, pornography? There's a great resource on access.org. There's a series of videos for parents and discussion guide for your family. Just a couple of questions and it's by age. So if you have like a 12 year old and under, here's some questions that would be good to ask them. If you have a 13 year old and up, here's some questions that you want to maybe ask them. And a couple of them are, have you heard the word pornography before? Do you know what that means? Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's less information is more. Yeah. Just start with, <laughs> start with that and just sort of feel out the subject before you just jump right in the deep end. with Right. I, I loved that question. I thought, oh, okay, that's helpful. Because when my kids ask questions about, you know, what do body parts do? And I always went like with the most simplistic answer. And if they pressed, then I gave more details. Right. But a lot of times they're but a lot totally of satisfied with the very basic. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on the temperament of the, the child. Right. And how they process information. And then the second question they recommend for under age 12 is, do you feel like you can talk to me about this? Why or why not? And how can I make you feel comfortable approaching me and I think a lot of this has to do with how you mom and dad approach this if you normalize talking about sex in your household that's all your child's going to know they they don't know your history how your parents just you know handed you a book or never told you anything you're 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 just normalizing okay this is what our family does right and I think that's that's something to keep in mind because even though you might feel awkward about it they, they may not realize that. Mm-hmm. Right. Model it in your marriage. Talk about mm-hmm. it all the, you know, all the time when they're getting a bath or whatever. Talk about private parts. What private parts mean? Why are they mm-hmm. private parts? Mm-hmm. Even when they're little, little, little. I think you want to do that nowadays anyway, because yes. you want your kids, your young kids to know who, <laughs> who is okay to like visualize those parts. Maybe it's yes. just mom and dad and the doctor yes. and that's it. Nobody else has access to that. That's right. That's protecting your child early on. So they feel like they can come and talk to you if something were to happen. This is just one more step in that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they had questions you could talk to um, with your teen, which this is a great question. What makes something pornographic? Great question. You're going to get an idea of where your kid's mind is mm-hmm. in terms of understanding um, 
what is out of bounds and what's God honoring Mm. in terms of um, sex. And um, another question you can ask them is statistics say that many Gen Zers and millennials don't think that watching porn is wrong. Do you feel that's true based on your experience or what you've observed in your friends? Mm-hmm. And why do you think they don't have a negative view of pornography if they're for it? And so, again, it's not, um, I think if you just always hit it like with the negative and anything in parenting, yeah, you're not going to get really more of what you want. Right. Our our goal is to, I mean, we want to promote sex. It's a, it's a gift. Yes. It's a wonderful thing in its right place. So it's not bad. It's not dirty. It's not shameful. You don't have to hide it or pretend it, any part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you talk about it in those ways, then, and that's God design, God's design for us, then yes. hopefully that will promote them coming to talk to you about it as well. And another important component, which I just said be positive, but I did want them to also understand um, the like addiction component mm. of pornography. There's some great statistics out there that you can um, find to discuss this with your child. On neurosciencenews.com, um, there's an article that said pornography satisfies every one of the prerequisites for neuroplastic change. That's just a fancy word for your brain. Adapting and and changing. Mm -hmm. When pornographers boast that they are pushing the envelope, introducing new and harder themes, what they don't say is that they must do this because their customers are building up a tolerance to the content. Porn scenes like addictive substances are hyper-stimulating triggers that lead to unusually high levels of dopamine secretion. This damages the dopamine reward system and leaves it unresponsive to the natural sources of pleasure which is why users begin to experience difficulty in achieving arousal with a physical partner. Mm-hmm. So we're desensitizing our reward circuitry and we're setting ourselves up for sexual dysfunction, but we also are giving ourselves depression. Yeah. Like higher porn use that users have reported higher incidence of depressive symptoms, lower quality of life, poorer mental health. So this is a... It works just like any other drug. Yeah. That's how yeah. That's how <laughs> alcohol rewires your brain. That's how a pot rewires your brain. Mm-hmm. That's how it, it changes your dopamine receptors. Like it's a physical response. It's a physical response. The bad news is the brain is plastic and it creates all these new pathways. The good news is the brain is plastic. You can create new pathways. <laughs> right. <laughs> One, you know, it, it's not a one-way street. And if you're, if you've gotten into an addiction, it's, there's, it, there is a way back, but it's just very hard. It is hard. It's very, but very it's hard. Doable. So, um, I think it's good to share your own personal struggles, especially with older children uh, in this area. If you struggle with pornography, then they don't have to hide it or pretend it because they know it's universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this is how I've dealt with it. This is how I've com- combated it or things that I've put in its place. Um, this is where your community of friends can also be very helpful. Yeah. If you have a trusted friend who um, you think can also speak into your child's life, enlist their help in this area. Yeah. It, it would, it's, it's really beautiful and beneficial. Um, also, just be practical. Look into ad blockers and filters what do you need um, on your computer? Keep your computers in public spaces mm-hmm. in your house. We had a rule you had to leave your phone downstairs. I know some parents have had a problem with that because the kid would come back downstairs and get the phone out of the kitchen mm-hmm. after the parents had gone to bed. So they just moved it to the parents' bedroom. <laughs> you know, just whatever they needed to do to keep those phones out of the bedroom right. all night long. Now, is all of that 100% guarantee your kid's not going to do any of that? Nope. No, they can do it right in front of you and you might not even be knowing it. Mm-hmm. They're really good at technology, but it does, it is a deterrent. Yeah. I mean, with anything, um, as your kids get into the teen years, I always viewed it as I want to set my child up for success. I want to make it difficult for them to do the wrong thing mm-hmm. without making them feel like I'm being legalistic with them, knowing that really in the end, if the, whatever they really wanted to do, they were going to be able to do. Right. They have a car. They have a phone, mm-hmm. you know, which are privileges that you get when you prove yourself trustworthy. And we're not perfect. We're human beings who make mistakes. Right. So you want to, just like with the toddler years, you don't let your child play in the front yard by themselves. You just want to be aware of that. In the teen years, don't give your child unfettered access to a phone. Mm-hmm. 
without ever checking in. Yeah, without checking in. With That's our, the thing. our children knew we were going to get on there. We were going to open up their apps. We were going to be in their business, read their text messages. Mm-hmm. They were going to have, could they hide stuff from us still? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> because they probably knew more than us. Right. But you just want to make it, make them go the extra mile if they're going to sneak. Right. And then if there's a, you know, if there's a stumble or if, if there's a discovery or whatever, then you don't freak out about it. You know, the hammer doesn't necessarily come down all the way. It's an opportunity to talk through. Like, what's going on? What's the driver for this? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to get on the other side of it? Yeah, you want to celebrate things getting out in the open. I mean, this is why kids hide, right? This is why nobody wants to walk down the center aisle at church on Sunday morning for prayers or confession because it's a big deal, right? Everybody holds their breath. But if you create a culture in your home of celebrating um, getting set free from sin, you you, you create a culture of openness. And so you want to to be... um, looking at it as an opportunity to let's air this out. Satan wants to keep this in the dark. He wants you hiding and we don't want that. We want freedom for you and we want to walk in this with you. And certainly you would have to remove some privileges if they've abused your trust, but you can still do that with grace. Yeah. And not like make, make it sound like the world's coming to an end here. Right. Life is progress, not perfection. Yes. So let's just get to the next step, do the next right thing. And And we'll move on from there. That's right. Nothing you can't recover from. That's right. And you would want to involve your child in um, the plan for helping them succeed in the future. So you wanted, you would want to get their input. So how, you know, so this is a, this is a temptation for you. How can you set yourself up for success? Yeah. When, when is this hardest for you? What does this look like? Are you doing this when you're stressed or when you're anxious Mm -hmm. or when you're lonely or then how can we? Focus on the stress and the anxiety and the loneliness and fix those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know. They yeah. can usually tell you how to do that. Yeah. They're, they're and, smart. And what help do we need to get you? There's great um, Christian th- therapists and counselors and things like that. Right. Because addiction is a long-term game. Right. It's not going to be a quick fix. No. It's it's porn addiction, like any addiction, is very difficult to break. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more helpful... Um, just like with alcohol or any other drug, rather than saying, oh my goodness, what am I having to give up here? You know, <laughs> I've kind of gotten to like this and it's kind of pleasurable and I don't really want to have to give it up. What are you moving towards instead? What are you saying yes to instead? What are you filling it with that's better for you and making you be a better person instead? Is a much healthier focus than all the negatives like we were Yeah, saying. which is our what our guest Samantha Perkins mm-hmm. said when we interviewed her about giving up alcohol. She would tell herself, I'm not drinking right now. Right. I'm not drinking right now. And she didn't think about the next day or week or years. No, it's minute to minute. It was minute to minute. I'm not doing that right now. And she gave herself a lot of other pleasurable outlets. That's right. And she, you know, ate those three pieces of cake at the <laughs> wedding and all the, all the cool fun things that she, um, that were very wise to make her not feel so deprived. Yeah. And that she was making progress. Right. And it gets easier. Yeah. It's it easier as you yeah. go. So there's a great book called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World by Daniel Weiss and Joshua Glazer. That's a really, really good resource for parents. It's um, fairly new, just recently out, which I would recommend uh, for help. And, you know, I got to do a good Tim Keller quote. We're going to have more than one from him <laughs> in this series of topics. But um, this is from a YouTube video. And he said this. Porn is destructive because if sex is like money, porn is a massive devaluation of the currency. Sex inside of a committed marriage is magic. It's like blowing on the coals of this incredible, beautiful, and powerful flame. It becomes more sweet, more pleasurable, and more powerful than before. He's talking about when he was 50, 60, 70 in his relationship with his wife. It's more sweet, more pleasurable, and more powerful because you haven't devalued the currency. Sex is a way of saying I belong completely and totally and exclusively to you. And that's something you can only say inside of marriage. Yeah. I love that. I belong completely, totally, exclusively to you. So great. We'll revisit that towards the end of the podcast. Yeah. Talk about marriage and relationships. Yeah. That's so good. And so porn is just a facet of our hyper-sexualized culture. Right. So moving from porn 
to our second topic, let's talk about modesty. It's kind of the other end of the spectrum, but they're related. You and I talked about this back in mid-July of this year when we had the Summer Olympics finally going on and the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Yeah. Um, One of the stories that grabbed the headlines was about the Norwegian beach handball team. And if you'll remember, they were fined because they wanted to wear shorts instead of the bikini bottoms required by the league. And any of you who have daughters in high school volleyball, that's what they wear at high school volleyball too, these like spandex bikini bottoms. Yeah. Basically. Teeny tiny. So... Um, That uniform choice is important, not only because it reflects the personal preference of the players, but because research indicates there may be a link between revealing clothing and mental and physical performance. The International Handball Federation rules stipulate that female athletes must wear bikini bottoms with a close fit and cut on an upward angle toward the top of the leg. Men's beach ball beach handball players have much more flexibility the men's rules state the player's shorts if not too baggy can be longer but must remain 10 centimeters above the kneecap 10 centimeters above the kneecap yeah now why is that okay for them but it's not okay for the women after complaining about the bikini bottom rule for 15 years norway's female handball team i guess they were fed up (laughs) i would be and they wore shorts so as a result of breaking the rules each player was fined about 177 dollars And thankfully, the Norwegian Handball Federation picked up that tab. So I'm asking the question, why in 2021, when women are supposed to be empowered, there's that word again, was this even an issue? Yeah, I was appalled when you sent me this article that that this would go on. And I mean, why is this an issue? Because I think we're so confused about um, sexuality, modesty and what that word even means it's like a dirty word in our culture yes there's a- and like to be empowered is to, to strip down but not cover up mm-hmm. it, it doesn't go both ways which Why? doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> it it's doesn't. the same thing about if a woman has choice then she can go to work or she can stay at home so why are or why are one or the other yeah vilified yeah it's because i guess in the past you know in some cultures still you know, they want their women covered up, right? They want them covered all the way to the wrist, all up their neck, all the way down to their ankles. Mm-hmm. And so empowerment, I guess, temporarily meant, okay, no, we don't. The hemlines can be shorter. The mm-hmm. sleeves can be shorter. But at some point, we lost our way. Right. It, it, <laughs> at some point, you're taken off so much that the power is completely lost. You just gave it all away. You gave it away. So that statistically, we know the performance falters. The, the less closed you are, uh, clothed you were. That article you sent me said mm-hmm. that, that, that they've studied that when women wear less clothing in sports, their performance drops. Right, because you're thinking about, how, let's see, how my, can I run down this field without my shirt coming off? Or yeah. can I, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So all around us, there's like this outcry of, nobody can tell me what to wear. I'm an American, right? I have rights. Yes. Um. And on the one hand, there's like a legitimate backlash against a system that faults a woman for being assaulted, depending on her outfit, saying she was asking for it. Right. No woman is ever asking for it. That's right. Let us be clear. And there's this avalanche of women speaking up against offenders that you, you know, the gymnastics team um, that just had that trial go on. Yes. Um, All the female news anchors that came out and all the Me Too movements and all that. Um, Yeah. So so where does that fit in? Right. I know. It's And there's a... There's been this backlash um, in the evangelical world to 90s purity culture, which you and I got a pass on because I guess we were 80s culture. We were 80s, yes. (laughs) So we missed that. that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard about purity rings. I was already married and kind of moving on with life. Mm -hmm. And I heard the I kiss dating goodbye thing. And I guess when I got into the homeschool world, that's when I started to meet people who had actually really bought into that. And been a part uh, of and it. The, yeah. the, the fathers had really bought into it and wanted to do that with, especially with their daughters. And and so you found an interesting article from the Atlantic. Well, just March of 2021, this year. This year, yes, where the um, the author had come out saying, speaking against her experience in the purity culture. Um, she said she was told that it it would keep us from getting hurt or becoming damaged, like protecting a delicate flower from blooming too early. But here's the thing. Oh. If my flower became spoiled, then putting it back together would be really hard. If I faltered, I also risked not having intimacy with God and living the perfect, sanctified life. 
My sexual purity was the ultimate turn-on for a godly man, and for all this talk about transcending your body to be pure, I sure was being evaluated on mine. Yeah, that's yucky. I would I wouldn't have liked that. No. I didn't know that was going on. It's a total double standard of of shame is what it is. Yes. Shaming someone into doing the right thing. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you experience that, I'm really 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 sorry. Um because the gospel is that Christ makes you your, your status is completely holy. Mm-hmm. He takes all your sin away and that's a one-time thing and then you get to live a sanctified life, which is you're getting to try to live up to your status again and again with the ability to be forgiven again, again and, and again. again. And then when you meet Jesus face to face, then you'll be perfectly glorified mm-hmm. and perfectly perfect. But it but it's a it's a status and it's a process and it's a destination. Mm-hmm. And this um idea of a damaged flower that can never be like really put back together again i don't know what she's describing right, exactly, and, it, but... and it all hinges on your sexuality yeah and how you you know how you're perceived which is not what we are about as women right it shouldn't be right i mean it's a facet of us but it's not yeah it's not the totality of us no but our culture in this a culture that where everything is about sex it's either it's either that <laughs> right or it's mm, I don't know what's the other uh, the pole of that um so t- well Tim Keller to use him again I know he's always said you know we view sex is everything you can't live a normal life without it yeah. the idea of living a celibate life is insanity no one thinks that anymore yeah. right and, and at the same time we consider sex nothing it's just an appetite when you when you're hungry, you eat a sandwich. When you want to have sex, you go have sex with someone. Mm-hmm. It's no different mm-hmm. than being hungry, and so we have this wildly whiplashing idea of sex in our culture. And the the Christian worldview is just a much more sane, yes, in line with reality, not confusing, yes, <laughs> kind of view. Which is it is this amazing, powerful glue. For people, which mm-hmm. is why Paul says, don't stop doing it mm-hmm. unless you're committing yourselves to a time of prayer. Tim Keller likens it to um, covenant renewal. So he uh, says that in the Bible, when um, God wants to help his people remember like who they are in his sight, he creates a covenant. And then you have covenant renewal ceremonies to remind yourself, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is who I am. This is who God is. This is like I'm walking with him. So communion, the Lord's Supper, is like our one we do regularly in Mm -hmm. churches. And we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is at God's right hand. Jesus is coming back. Jesus died for me. He's Mm -hmm. risen up, you know, all the things. But he says in marriage, sex is covenant renewal. It's Mm -hmm. reminding you. You know, this is my person. I'm committed to them psychologically, physically, financially, socially, right. spiritually. Like uh, it's the glue that reminds you of all those things. Mm-hmm. So it's that's way more beautiful and powerful than our culture. <laughs> yes, than it being <laughs> all about some body parts. Yeah, it is not our life. Heaven forbid is not all about our body parts. Um, gosh. So I don't know if you've heard this too, but there was. I think you sent me an article on, I can't remember who the who the author was, um, but for a while there, and I haven't heard it in a while, but there was this thing that, um, to counteract the hypersexualization, a lot of evangelical Christians were coming out saying, oh, no, 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 modest is hottest. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what? Are, what? How is that any better? How does that focus on anything but sexuality? Right. Like, right. do you want to be modest to be hot? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you missed the point. Yeah, and there, there's um, a book out called um, Reading the Bible Through Western Eyes, and it's how we as Westerners get some things wrong because we're, we're, it's an Eastern book. It's written okay. to an Eastern people in an Eastern culture that's very um, group-oriented, family-oriented, right? And we're really individualistic. And so mm-hmm. a lot of things, times we miss things. And some of the modesty passages in scripture i guess let me just read a couple um first timothy 2 9 says i want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship god 
And then in 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, Your beauty, women, should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, but it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. This is not a prohibition to look nice. It's against trying so very hard to look good in all the ways that are unimportant. Right. We're not supposed to be modest to attract a guy. It's it's to get your priorities straight. The the thing that never gets wrinkled up and shriveled up is your spirit. Mm-hmm. You can cultivate your spirit so that you're more beautiful at 50 and 60 and 70 than you were at 20. That's the, Paul's like and and Peter are like get it straight. Yeah. Get the, get the things in order and he's also saying don't wear expensive stuff. Don't show off with your clothes. Do we ever even talk about that ever? No. <laughs> no. Not usually. It's always about like, where's your cleavage? Mm-hmm. How high is your hemline? Which is also important. I mean, scripture does talk about, um, you know, when Paul describes the church as a body, the, that we cover parts mm-hmm. that deserve modesty. So there are parts of our bodies, culturally speaking, that we need to cover in modesty. We live in community. We don't live in... Um, individual pods where <laughs> we're never interacting with people right so love the law of love would say i think i do consider others in my life choices but I, but it's not like they have the reins of my life and are jerking me around they're considering me too and that's I, community yeah yeah i think in a yes in an ideal christian community yes that's how it is right and so i can control me mm-hmm. i cannot control you mm-hmm so is, if you're waiting for everybody else to line up and be living their lives the exact way you want them to, you're never going to do. <laughs> you're never going to do the thing because people are going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you and not, and not live up to what you, what you want. But yep. you might be surprised. Yep. Obedience is its own reward and its own understanding. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> so you might hear any one of us that has... This is not just women either. I mean, it just seems to be. I've raised a daughter and I've raised a son. Um, I know plenty of parents of boys and girls. And it's just not, it just tends to not be as much of an issue with boys. It's easier to go shopping for boys Mm -hmm. with no issue whatsoever. It's easier to dress a kid, a boy for school. Yeah, did what age, do you remember what age Savannah was when you started noticing the clothes be different? I think Emma was like eight years old, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was early. It was really disappointing. It's, we went from cute little girl stuff yeah. to this, yeah, hyper-sexualized. You kind of go from Gymboree, and after Gymboree, that's it. Yeah. Then it's, all bets are off. Then right. you're like shopping for the club sort of stuff, and it gets really, really hard to find something decent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why that is. Except well, that our culture is telling us yes. younger and younger and younger. Yes. This is what you have to do to be acceptable and to be valued and to be um, attractive. Yeah, that's what beauty is. That, yeah. I mean, that's what the culture says beauty is. And we just read two scriptures that d- described beauty in a totally different way. That's So again, mm-hmm. if I were doing this with my younger children, like elementary age children, I would be pointing out the positive. Do you know Miss Ann at our church? She's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. She teaches the two-year-old class and she gives gives her time and is so patient with them, even when they're scared and crying. Right. That's so beautiful. You need to be speaking aloud to your children what beauty is, mm-hmm. what you're looking for. Like, tell them what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah, a gentle and quiet spirit, that's beautiful. Um, a woman with a voice with that speaks with grace and truth, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, and especially with men too, we did it with men as well. We would, we said, um, well, we joked around and said, marry a nerd. Nerds are reliable. (laughs) Right. So, you know, nerds have interesting hobbies and they'll always have things you want to talk about. What were we saying? Value someone's mind. Exactly. Value reliability. Exactly. So this concept of empowerment, where we say, you can't tell me what to wear. You know, I'm an American. If I want to walk around naked, that should be my right. What's that guy at Times Square? The uh, naked cowboy. Naked cowboy. Yeah. yeah, we actually have a nudist colony here in Murfreesboro. I just found that out. Oh, right, in Woodbury, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, hey, that's your right. You're an American, you right? Can do it's that. all independent. Right. Um, until we go back to the handball uniforms. Right. And then where's the empowerment go? So, the empowerment is um, 
like you were saying, intellectual, um, personality. Mm-hmm. That's where your power is coming from, from mm-hmm. your voice, from your mind, from your spirit. It really has nothing whatsoever to do with your body. Yeah, and fundamentally, it's an image of God question. So the Christian worldview says every single human being is made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Every single person has eternal value. And you, you are, if you use a Christian worldview, those lenses you use to see the world and understand it, then you, every person you meet, you tell yourself, that's an image bearer, that's an image bearer, that's an image bearer. And it actually brings me more grace in dealing with people. And thinking, oh no, what's happened to that person to think that that's um, how they have that's to... beautiful. Mm-hmm. That like what what lie are they believing, or what what need are they feeling that someone didn't fill for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that they think they need to do that, yep, dress that way or act that way, because um, we're all yeah we're all image bearers, and that is very empowering. So it's, it's the so most empowering. Yes. Yeah. It's dignifying so dignifying. Is a good word. Yeah. So we talked about um, the concept of pornographic literacy or, you know, critical consumerism before, which applies here too. So when you're going to the stores with your kids, you know, let's talk about what are we seeing hanging on the racks here? Let's talk about the magazines we're seeing at the checkout counter. Let's talk about um, what, we're, what kind of music we're listening to and how are they portraying so-called empowered women well how about the music videos and the movies that you watch I mean pick something pick anything look at how many times a day you're exposed over and over and over again not to mention the internet about what what's supposed to be beautiful and then let's criticize that based on well our worldview is different yes our worldview says that God is giving you your worth Mm -hmm. and God is giving you your value um so like this is three weeks from Halloween (laughs) So in case you have my least favorite holiday, uh, can we skip it? Yuck. <laughs> this is when this is coming out. So in case you haven't noticed yet, like every single costume, and this has gotten younger and younger and younger too, has to have something sexy in the title. So, you know, you're getting the sexy nurse and the sexy maid and the sexy kitten or whatever else it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, and I think that's an excellent point is to, to engage your children and ask them, like help help them. Don't be constantly spouting out information questions what do you think about that you know how do we how do we view that mm-hmm. and um does that honor god you know what does that what, honor you does that honor you that's right um that's those are great things to be asking mm-hmm. your children and yeah use yeah use the world man when we were at the play area at mcdonald's and like a child would not come when their parent called them you know from the ball pit which are no more this germ infested <laughs> oh, I know. ball pit That's one good positive about covid i guess <laughs> I, we would i would look at my children and say okay what do i what what does that child need to be doing oh they need to come when their mommy calls them mm-hmm. okay that was a completely neutral i'm not preaching to them I always come every time i call you right it's just engaging and it's not saying what a bad sinful no, child that is it's just engaging like use your world to help teach right it's but parents these days you cannot you cannot coast through and think your child's going to develop a worldview. They're picking up something. They're going to they're going to get discipled by those phones, by YouTube, by TikTok. You've got to swim against that current, right? Really, really intentionally, right? So you talk about um, so there's a difference between sex and sexualization. Yes, sex and sexuality are positive. They're designed in us. They can be a true gift. Sexualization has to do with treating others or ourselves as objects of desire. So that message gives us um, that our value is coming only from our sex appeal or our physical attractiveness, which demeans us all. And, you know, here we are sitting at middle age. What happens when you've put all your eggs in that basket? Yeah, well, things change. You start to panic, right? (laughs) Because you cannot stop. I mean, yeah, there's all these great things you can do to slow down the aging process right but hair you dye cannot, and botox and all the yeah all the stuff but you cannot stop it mm-hmm. and so you really are laying a better foundation for yourself and your children to look at beauty sexuality all of that in a more broad right uh, deep context yeah it's, it's part of who you are but it's not all of who you are mm-hmm I thought it was so cool that Tim Keller was talking about sex at 50, 60, and 70. Does anybody in our culture do that? 
it actually kind of shocked me. Yeah. I, yay for him. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Nobody's talking about 60-year-olds having sex. As if they suddenly stop having mm-hmm. sex. What a fabulous and they don't. moment. They don't. <laughs> Good for them. Spoiler alert. I yeah. know. I know. Yeah. I love it. So, okay. So our identity is greater than our collective body parts that you said. Haven't we always had that power since the garden? Big deal. We right. have boobs. We have boobs. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash. We've always had those. And no, like the fact that you have them today is no different than Eve in the garden. So, um, yeah. Should women be able to wear whatever they want and never be penalized, judged, or scorned? Women can, can wear whatever you want. You can, I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what to wear. I'm not telling you how, how high or low your hemline should be. Yes. I am telling you to be curious about why you're wearing the things you are. That's a good question. Be curious about why you're making those choices. And let's be realistic. Dress choice matters in different situations in life. Mm-hmm. What you wear to a job interview, what you wear to go hiking, what you wear to go to school, or what you wear to go on a date. Mm-hmm. Those are all different situations that call for different types of clothes. It, yeah, it's just the reality of the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, like, if you're setting your child up for success, you're not going to say, you know what, if you feel like it, it is your right. Wear pajamas to that interview. Is that helping your child's image no it's not like it or not people make snap judgments all the time and Mm -hmm. um perception is reality so yeah I mean I taught uh, my kids you know we homeschooled and I knew they were going to be in college and they were going to be interacting and in in a tutorial and I knew they were going to be interacting with professors and so I said here I'm going to give you tools so that you can make a good impression Mm -hmm. on your professors I'm going to tell you some things that you need to do to engage them after class and during class so that um, they will be favorably inclined toward you as a student. That's just teaching them about the world. Right. That's just teaching them about human nature. Mm-hmm. Could I just have said that's not fair and you should be able to just act however and the teacher should be impartial? Yes, the teacher should be impartial. Right. And, but, a, and a guy should not cat call you when you walk down the street in but, a in an ideal world. Yeah, in an ideal world, which we do not live in currently. <laughs> and that's the so, key. So I knew, I said, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you tools to help you navigate and succeed. And I think that this topic of modesty kind of falls in that category. That, that it's, it's a tool, how you use clothes is a tool to help you succeed in life. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's just, and it's just practical. <laughs> Like, can we just relegate it to that? The practical and the comfortable. Right. And the, you know, and just let it be mm-hmm. that and not such a, a big thing. I, I thought you had a good point. You you said it was a moral immaturity when people just display so much of their bodies and then go out and post pictures and things like that. I think it is because um, you're just falling at the feet of the gods of America, which are power and sex. Yeah, it's not actually empowerment. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's taking away everything that you, like you're just reducing yourself to one small, very common aspect. Yeah. So, and and we are so much more than that. We are so much more than that. So why not grasp <laughs> how we're made and how we're designed and how we're valued in another way? I just think it's way more beautiful. Yeah. Um, we had Annie Lobert at our church. Mm-hmm. She's an author. She does this amazing work out in Las Vegas, helping women escape Hookers the sex Hookers for trade. Jesus. Hookers for Jesus. We love her. She's She's got a great ministry. You can check her out on Instagram. Um, but she would tell you about the sexualization of our cu- culture and the really dirty, nasty underbelly of yeah, that, where, where of what it it's doing, of what it's doing to women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and how the men, like the men who owned her, how they made her dress, the plastic surgery they made her get mm-hmm. to make her look a particular way. You know, it's um, it's just a stereotypical, it's a stereotypical, very small view of femininity. Yes. Women, women, we come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And we come with, with all kinds of interests. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just... Um, yeah, it's a very narrow, one-size-fits-all view of how a woman should be, and I don't like it. 
I don't like it either. So stop. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. And by the way, Jesus never forced anybody to dress one way or another. He was no. available for those who were weary and he was available for um, the haughty as well, although they didn't really respond to him very much. Yeah. Um, when's the best time to do the right thing? It was yesterday. But the next best time <laughs> is right now. It's never too late. Right. Take a look at yourself. Ask yourself if you're, if you're, you know, Dressing in a way that draws attention to you. Ask yourself, why? Why are you doing that? Why that, do you feel like you have to do that? That draws attention to you in a certain way. It's I'm, just a certain aspect of yourself. One small aspect of yourself. Yeah. Are I you, did this in college. I made myself, um, I would never go out without makeup in high school. I was self-conscious about my skin and breakouts and all the things that teenagers are self-conscious about. So in college, I made myself go out like across campus without makeup on one day. I was terrified. What happened? It, the, you know what? The world's still spinning. Here I am at 50 <laughs> years old. I'm standing. I made it through. It was a it was a good little curious moment mm. in my life. Like, why am I doing that? Mm-hmm. I'm hiding behind it is what I found. I was hiding behind my makeup to make myself feel better. And it's fine to use makeup to make yourself feel better. Yeah. But it needed to get in its proper place. Yeah. Wow. That was a, that was a wise thought at that age. Yeah, it was I a ra- it was a rare ra- wise thought. There was not a lot of wisdom at that age. <laughs> it wasn't a normal. <laughs> it was not the norm. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, okay, porn and our response to this hypersexualized culture that we live in, it it just will affect our relationships and our marriages. It just will. Yeah, it will. So, awareness and questioning and critical consumerism of all that stuff is so key. Um one thing that has come out of all of this, I think never before has there been so much emphasis in a culture on finding your one true love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, my man, Tim Keller, he said, once we abandoned God, who is our one true love, mm-hmm. who is the lover of our souls, who is our maker, redeemer, friend, as the song, the old hymn goes. Yeah. Um, once we abandon that, then we have to have something. Something has to fill its place. Something. And I actually believed this. Uh, for a long time, I believed that there was one true person for me. And then I started thinking about it. I guess during college when I'm dating my, who would be my husband, mm-hmm. thinking, now is this man the only one for me? It just seems like a set of circumstances that brought me here. I live in Tennessee. This school is in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. We're both here. Is there somebody in China that we would be just as well suited to me? Somebody in Europe, maybe? Mm-hmm. And logic said, you know what? You probably could marry a lot of different people. And it terrified me because I thought you had to find the one right person. Exactly. Instead of making a choice and a commitment. And that's right. To the one a, yes. you've and decided my parents, on. Just by the way, my parents were not telling me this. They were not telling me there was one right person. Mm-hmm. I was picking that up from the culture. Oh, because Disney. Yes. The princesses. All the princesses. All had Prince Charming. Right. Their one true love. Mm-hmm. So forget that. That's baloney. <laughs> it is baloney. Garbage. Throw oh out gosh. all your Disney DVDs, please. Burn them. VHS tapes, that was ours. Get rid of them. There's so much. I mean, listen, you can get, you can let your kids watch some Disney movies, but you're going to have to seriously debrief. Yeah. All those questions you're talking about, Bonnie, you're going to have to seriously debrief with them because it's that message over and over oh, again. Oh, yeah. Sure it is. Which is how we've gotten to um, Bachelor Nation. Ugh. That's... That's where we are now. I'm coming back to the whole empowerment of women question. How in any way is it empowering to have whatever it is, 20 women at a given time competing for this one lousy dude? It makes me sick. I can't even watch the commercials. I can't watch it. That you're so desperate to get a rose oh. from this one person you think is going to fulfill your whole life. Um, you're just going to put it all out there for millions of people to watch your the innermost parts of your heart how did we get there it's so awful it's so um vicarious like it's gross to me watching people lay themselves out there emotionally like that yeah it's just i'm sorry bachelor fans but that's how it is we're asking you to take a curious (laughs) look at yourself why are you watching this it's it's telling you it's that's the big fat lie of our culture um that we can't be fulfilled unless we have romance and sex. 
So you better be having as much sex as possible with as many people as possible mm-hmm. so that you can find that one romantic partner somewhere. But it has nothing whatsoever to do with the Christian worldview. Our view of sex is completely different. And it's, so- it's not narrow-minded prudery either. No. This whole one flesh concept. It's not this something that belongs in the dark ages. Um, it's this metaphysical mystery. Yeah. That's way bigger than we're even imagining a lot of times, even as we're living it out. It's just this, this crazy huge thing, which is why Satan loves to run amok with it, right? Uh, exactly. If I can ruin that, I can really mess it up, mess people up. Right. If I can ruin sex, if I can ruin romance, if I can ruin connection and intimacy, which every single thing we've talked about today does all of that, mm-hmm. then he's won. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so what you were saying before, the whole one flesh concept in marriage is an entwining of ourselves completely with another person, emotionally, financially, physically, socially, spiritually, all of those things. And it's like this vulnerable, I love how Tim Keller puts it, a donation of ourselves mm-hmm. to the other. Radical self-donation. I love um, it. Which is another bad word in our culture, surrender, submission, um, thinking of someone else. That's just foreign. And by the way, there's a radical egalitarian principle that Paul embeds in not that whole section of scripture where he says the husband's body doesn't belong to him, belongs to the wife. You are not your own. And the wife's body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to the husband. This was insanity in the Roman world. Mm-hmm. Like wealthy Roman men were expected and allowed to have sex with whomever they wanted. Anyone below them, male or female, boys and girls, mm-hmm. that was all free reign for men. But women, no, 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 they could only have sex with their husbands. And when Paul comes in and says, no, 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 husbands, you're committed to your wife. And actually, your body's not your own. It belongs to her. That's radical teaching. Yeah, it is. Radical, radical reformation teaching. And then, you know, the reverse is true. The woman's body's not her own. It belongs to her husband. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the sexual act, we submit to each other. It's It's a beautiful partnership and covenant like you were talking about covenant renewal renewal. again and again and again it just it is the most beautiful thing it's why even people who are hooked on the bachelor nation and all the stuff that we've been talking about see the old couple who's you know been married 75 years walking hand in hand every single one of them says oh (laughs) i want that i want that yeah because it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And the the, the lie is that um, you can't have it. The lie is that it's really unattainable. It's attainable. Yeah. If you both go in and say, like, we're in this, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. You can make it your way through. And um, I was talking to a marriage and family therapist recently. And they interviewed couples who, which, by the way, we all have problems, couples who had had problems in their marriage. And nine out of 10 couples said that they were grateful that they had gotten on the other side of their problems, that they had worked through their problems Mm -hmm. and that they felt like their relationship was better for having surmounted those problems better than it would have been had they never had them in the first place. Wow. And I, I just think we think the alarm bells go off like, oh my goodness, this isn't my one true love. This has gone completely wrong. Exactly right. Uh, wait, I got to restart. Mm-hmm. I need to redo, a reset. And listen, there are some times you do. I mean, scripture says that. Mm-hmm. There's outs. There's things that just break that covenant and you're, God says, okay, yeah, you can be released. Mm-hmm. But um, so many times, it's we just I think that young couples especially in the first 10 years you're going to hit natural um obstacles yep there's gonna be bumps in the road Mm -hmm. they're common to all marriages yeah and getting through them makes you go hey we did that yeah we did that together okay what now we're stronger what can we do now Mm -hmm. and that's just not what we're hearing no in our culture it's just like oh look at the draw you just married the right person right you know, it's, it's like when people would tell me I just got lucky with my kids because they obeyed. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We've been working on this at home. Yeah. We've been staging this. We've been reenacting these moments at home so that when we're out in public, things go well. Things you know, it well. didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. 
we went into it and we, there's been a lot of failures along the way too by the way right to and, get to this point and you're never seeing the whole story <laughs> you're not from the outside you you're don't not see the whole story oh. so um yeah i think we put our uh especially i would say conservative christians put a lot of our um faith in our family and children that's our family values, right? Traditional mm-hmm. family values. Mm-hmm. That's the whole politics thing. But I, that's misguided, I think. Um, Christians shouldn't place our hope in our children. Our children maybe are a sign of hope, but that's not where our hope lies. And um, our hope is in something else entirely. Yes, our ultimate hope is that, yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. and the idea of being unmarried, which Paul also says in those passages, you know, it's, hey, if you're unmarried, it's okay. If you want to stay unmarried, that was radical. Yep. In a culture where family was everything. Mm-hmm. To not have heirs, that was the death of your to name. Not pass down That's your a property. death of your generation of families. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, no, no. Like that there's a family and we're we're all a family of God. Right. And so um, you can live a fulfilled life following Christ and not be married. As a matter of fact, you're more free. Because you don't have all the obligations of family, he mm-hmm. goes on to say. Mm-hmm. But then the modern liberal outlook makes more of an idol of self-discovery and independence mm-hmm. and gratification. And that's misguided too. Yeah, it is. And especially in terms of sex, right? Because then sex is a one-way street. You need to please me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go find someone to have sex with when I feel like having sex. Mm-hmm. All the things. Um, or I'm going to wear what I want to wear, like mm-hmm. you were talking about. Or porn use. Which is definitely one way. Right. And all of that is also misguided. <sighs> yes. <laughs> you brought up a great um, moment in scripture that I thought is really helpful. Right. So this everybody's familiar with the story of the woman at the well in John 4, um, where she comes to the well and Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the, to the well. And he says, all right, go call your husband and come back. And that's such a random line. (laughs) He says, she says, I have no husband. He's like, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So what, what does this mean? Why, when Jesus talks about living water, does he talk about this woman's romance? And her life relationships. Yeah. Why? Beautiful point. Her life is centered around men. Right. So she's destined to always either be desperate or disappointed. Yeah. Always. For her whole life. And gosh, I know so many people who are desperate and disappointed um, in relationships because they're pursuing all the wrong things. Their focus is on the wrong thing. And we are made for a relationship. I mean, that's how yeah. God made us. But sin is just disordered pursuit of relationship you know, or pursuit of whatever fill in the blank mm-hmm. it's a disordered pursuit so so much of sin is something that's legitimate that's gotten out of um order of importance yeah or how often you do that particular thing or something so yeah he's he jesus is so wise right. i love that little snafu there <laughs> i was talking about living water and ah, and where her hopes and hopes in her life is that's great so all it's so um, countercultural. It's so I think hard for so many of us to grasp growing up in in our culture here that we cannot have intimacy with God unless we lose our independence, mm. and we cannot have intimacy with another person unless we lay down our independence. Um, because with God and with our spouses, we are not our own. Like you. Like you said, we belong to something else. So you can't just keep one hand on this. Like, yeah, I'm going to have sex with you, but I need an out. Or live with you. That's, you know, you're, you're not living with someone before marriage is not a trial of how marriage is because you haven't actually committed to the person. You still have an out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a completely different feeling. Right. So it's, that's, it's not an indicator of, for, of future success. So it's impractical in that way. Maybe you want to do it for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, marriage is radical self-donation. Marriage is, I'm all in. All my chips are in the center of the table. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. That is the most vulnerable you can ever, it ever be. It is so vulnerable. So, but it leads to the most beauty, I think, that there is too. Um yeah, I mean, when that person shows up for you and is faithful 
to you, I can say, praise God yeah. for, you know, the men and women who do that for one another, because it is um, a beautiful symbol of Christ's commitment to his church mm-hmm. and the church's commitment to Christ, which is what it's supposed to be, which is why Satan would want to wreck it. Right. Right. Again. Exactly. So at ancient times, like you were saying, it's social obligation to get married. You had to. Women had to get married in, in the 18th century because we couldn't have property. We couldn't vote. We had no agency. Um, that was the only way we were going to get taken care of. Um, and now we marry for personal fulfillment. We try to find our one true love and our one soulmate that we were destined for. Well, both of those things are wrong. That's not what we were created to do. That's not what our destiny was for. I think marriage is actually, um, like you said, kind of an all in to say, I'm up for being changed along the way. Yeah. And I'm up to watch you change and for you to help me change so that we can get to where we're going. There's a journey and we're on it. I think there's a passage in the meaning of marriage uh, that Tim and Kathy Keller wrote that says that, that um, when you marry someone, you're, you're saying, I'm going along for the ride to see who God is making you yeah into and I'm gonna be so thrilled to see what you look like at the end of this journey Mm -hmm. and you for me as well and I get to participate in that not in a manipulative way no I'm not submissive in a submissive and um strengthening way Mm -hmm. for one another a way that says I want what's best for you yeah I want God's best for you and I want to help you see Mm -hmm. see that through right so I I think that's what we all want. We all want that depth of belonging and being cherished and valued for who we are. Um, so pornography short circuits that intimacy, devaluing and degrading ourselves with our behavior, our speech, our clothing, just the image of God in us short circuits that intimacy. So does um, demanding our rights or our independence that short circuits that intimacy. And we just have to look at those areas that we've talked about today. I think ask some serious questions, help our kids through those questions. It's kind of a minefield to navigate, but there it is. Yeah. We're made for so much more. We're like, we're made for flourishing and you know, the gospel is the best news out there. The gospel is you get the spirit of God Mm -hmm. inside of you besides the status Jesus grants you. And, and he says, wait a second, you're not going to be by yourself. During all of this life you're going to live now, I'm going to be inside of you, helping you, you know, na- helping you navigate it, helping yeah. you live it out. Yeah. Take so advantage of it. Can we do better? Yes, we can all do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's help each other get there. Let's help each other get there. Yeah. So we're going to have some of these resources that we talked about today on our website, justaskyourmom.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom or Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. And if you're listening, please rate and give a review. It helps people find us. And send us your questions or topics to Just Ask Your Mom Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, Just Ask, Ask Your Mom. Your Mom.